0: Welcome to Manager Tools. I'm Mark Horseman, one of the co-founders here. Due to coronavirus, we thought it would be helpful for us to re-release some casts that address problems that you may now be facing in your professional or managerial life. We have topics like phone one-on-ones and distance management, for those of you who are being asked or encouraged to telecommute, and much more. What's more, We're releasing these casts daily over the next several days. We didn't want you to have to go back through our archive and find things that might be relevant. We've already done that search for you. We hope this helps. And if you need help, reach out to us. Good luck in the days, weeks, and months ahead. We're rooting for you. Welcome to Career Tools. This week, Working Remotely, Chapter Three, Contribution to the Team. The questions this cast answers are, how do I make sure I still contribute when I'm working remotely? How do I make sure I'm still thought of when working remotely? And what's the most important things to know when working remotely? This is the third of our series about working remotely and still being productive and useful and still getting the recognition that you deserve when you're working remotely, when you're far away from your team. Every time we've introduced it with the same thing, the working from home pendulum may be swinging back towards people being in offices. There's been lots of high profile uh, examples of people being called back to offices, having worked remotely. Yahoo and IBM come to mind as two. Uh, but there are still millions of people who work remotely. And what we will need to ensure is how do we stay relevant how do we stay part of the team when we don't see them every day or we don't contact them every day so we've covered uh two steps one of which was uh stay in communication and visit when you can and now we're going to talk about your actual work and contributing contribute making a contribution to the team so that you are seen as a full member of the team so what are we going to cover
1: we've got five points today to cover we're going to start with talking about publishing your calendar. Followed by subscribing to others' calendars, then don't miss meetings, over communicate, and share ideas. Maybe those don't make a lot
0: of sense for the title, but hopefully we can we can show you how they do connect. And before we start, we do have two casts for managers uh, who have remote teams, distant manager basics, and virtual teams. If you go onto the website and just search for those titles, you'll find them. And there's also a cast for phone one-on-ones. So if you're a manager doing one-on-ones and your team is away from you or distant from you, or you just happen to be traveling this week, there's a cast on phone one-on-ones, which also covers video and being on video when you're doing one-on-ones, whether or not that's a good idea, which it is. But for this class, we're gonna start with publish your calendar. So why are we publishing our calendar?
1: Well, the thing about publishing your calendar, why it's necessary, is that if your schedule isn't available to your other teammates, they won't know what you're doing, (laughs) obviously. They won't know when you're available or what it is that you're working on. And we've talked about getting your work done. That was in the very first part of this series. Getting your work done is really important, but almost even more importantly, Letting people know that you're done your work because out of sight, out of mind, right? People assume that if they don't know what you're doing, you're sitting around in your pajamas watching television and eating bonbons. If you don't give them another another alternative, <laughs> their brains, unfortunately, go to the worst.
0: It, Mark and I had exactly this situation yesterday. We were having a conversation And we needed some information from someone else in the team and we looked at the calendar and it was blank. And then we called and we couldn't get hold of that person. And the immediate assumption is, oh, they're not near the desk. They must be doing something that's not work. If your team or your manager can't see your calendar, they will make assumptions about what you're doing all day. And even if your calendar is empty, but it's published, that's still not it's still not helpful because they'll still make assumptions about what you're doing all day and that will never be in your favor. Part of the downside of working remotely is that you have to do more to let people know what you're doing and when you're doing it. You know, there's pros and cons to everything, right? It's great not to have a commute. On the other hand, you do have to work harder at letting people know
1: what you're doing. More communication, for sure. So you just want to ensure that your manager and the others on your team can see your calendar. And part of that It's your responsibility to keep it filled in, right? Make sure it's up to date. That means having all of your meetings on your calendar, all of your phone calls on your calendar. If you're not going to, like you just said, Wendy, if you're not going to be near your desk, having times marked out where you're going to be doing certain tasks. There's a big difference in the feeling a manager has about an individual, let's say Wendy, for example, um, who's got three meetings on their calendar and the rest of the week, blank and myself for example who's got those three meetings as well as chunks of time blocked off to work on specific projects things that are potentially near and dear to the manager's heart right not only where do you need to be at a certain time but also what are you doing with your blocks of time It's helpful to know. Yeah.
0: And in addition, if your company has a system for sharing work status, a spreadsheet or a database or, you know, all of the work tracking things that we have now, then you need to be keeping that up to date too. There are two parts to doing work, doing the work, and reporting that you've done it. And I will confess that when I was young, I did say to my manager once, do you want me to do the work or do you want me to report on it? And she... Gave me a dressing down, which meant I never asked that question again. Uh (laughs) Um, And the answer is yes. I want you to do the work and I want you to report on it. So if you're not reporting on it, nobody knows it's done. And if they don't know it's done, it might as well not be done. If you think about it as a home thing, right? If you said to your husband, we get some milk, right, uh, on your way home from work, and you didn't get a response to that text and you were on your way home from work and you were passing the 7-Eleven, if he hasn't responded to that text, you assume that he didn't get any milk. So you get milk because you're thinking, well, he obviously didn't see my text. He didn't have time, whatever. I'll get some milk. And then you get home and he's got the milk. He just didn't tell you. Now you've got two gallons of milk you don't know what to do with, right? You're going to have to have pancakes for the rest of the week. It's exactly the same with your work. If you don't say it's been done, it might as well not be done. And don't be afraid to report red. If you're a behind schedule, or the task isn't going well, report red. Because red isn't bad. Red is I need help, or this is going wrong, or we need to put some resources towards this, or I'm not getting the answers I need. If you don't report red and you just let it go, it gets worse. Like every day it gets worse. And, you know, when some when you finally confess and somebody has to intervene, the intervention is massive. Whereas if you report it when it's you know i'm a day late and i've sent four emails and i've called the guy twice and he hasn't returned my calls and you report red and you say all that to your boss and your boss says all right i'll call him like it's one phone call that takes 3 minutes for your boss whereas you know you do all that and then it goes for another 3 weeks and you're 3 weeks on a client project 3 weeks late on a client project that becomes a whole saga a much bigger deal so report red if you are red.
1: Exactly. And you can also put times on your calendar when you're going to be unavailable. The thing you want to do is be careful that your unavailable times don't outweigh the times when you're actually working or dedicated to a specific project according to your calendar. So for example, if your calendar has three meetings booked in there, uh, you got a lunch placed in, you got a doctor's appointment, a little reminder, don't forget to, to pick up the kids from school. Just keep in mind that in the brain of the person who is looking at your calendar, that's basically an equal mix, right? You're doing an equal mix of personal stuff to work stuff. It looks like, well, 50% of the day they're dedicating their time to work, 50% to personal. And again, that's not a good impression to others. I know myself personally, the way I deal with things like that, if I have tasks that I want to work on that are just kind of reminders, I also have a personal calendar to lay on top of my work calendar to say, okay, this is something that you need to remember to do. For example, send an email about X, but I don't place it on my work calendar. It's just a reminder to do.
0: Because actually those reminders are nearly always time unimportant. Like if if you've got a reminder, send an email to the bank, it's nearly always, it doesn't matter what time it happens. So if somebody calls you during that time or wants to have a meeting during that time, you are actually available. And if you put that task on the calendar, they'll just assume you're not. So you just want to be careful about personal stuff and work stuff and, and what the proportion is on your calendar as viewed by someone else. Because you don't want to have too much personal stuff and apparently be doing no work. And this is not a race to fill up your calendar so that you can brag about how busy you are. The object is not to have 45 hours of the week closely scheduled for a start. If you don't have open spaces on your calendar, the day something goes wrong, you have no no. Escape route. You have, you know, there's no overflow for that work to go into if everything is scheduled. So you do have, you should have some open space on your calendar. You need open space. But if you have 75% unscheduled time, you are probably getting less done than you could be because we know Parkinson's law work expands to fit the time available. And uh, Horseman's Colliery is (laughs) that the work gets smaller if if you say i'm going to do this and i've got an hour you can get it done in an hour if you say it's going to take three hours it will take three hours so your calendar is there to sort of act as a break against your brain against the things that we do naturally like extend tasks when we have more time for them so you need to be careful about unstructured time how much you have
1: of it have some but not too much exactly have controlled time all right. The next piece of this is subscribe to other people's calendars as well. You want to make sure that you can see other people's calendars, right? And there's there's a few reasons to it. First, if you want to call them, you want to make sure that you're actually calling when they're free. Calling when somebody is busy is completely ineffective because you won't be able to talk to them. Communication is what the listener does. If you can't talk to them, you completely miss the point. And you give the impression of being disconnected or out of touch with the other people on the team because, well, it was in my calendar. You should have known that.
0: Right. You should have looked and seen that I wasn't available. Now you can't complain that you called me three times in half an hour, I didn't answer because it said I'm in a meeting. We have a cast that's just on this topic called using other people's calendars. And it has some uh, guidance about how best to use other people's calendars so that you can be real effective. The other thing that things on their calendars or being able to see people's calendars uh, gives you is things to talk about that aren't a task. We said in one of the other casts that we did on this that when you're remote, you tend to have very pointed conversations because you call, you talk about the thing, you say goodbye and you don't have that kind of, hey, how are you, how's your day going kind of conversation that you might have over coffee or at the water cooler, you know, at work. And so looking at people's calendars can give you something to latch on to to have those conversations. So, for instance, you might see that somebody is doing a sales visit to a, cust- an, a really important customer and you see that on your colleague's calendar. And that means you can send a text that says, hey, good luck with customer eggs today. Let me know if there's anything I can do to make it, help you make the sale. And it just says, I am connected to your work. I am your teammate and I'm trying to help you. And afterwards, you can call or text and say, hey, how'd it go? And some people might think that's a bit weird. Like, oh, I couldn't call someone and ask them how their meeting went because it sounds like I'm checking up on them. But if you say, you know... Oh hey mate um, I know customer X can be tough just wanted to give you a call and say congrats for getting through it. How'd it go Hey and it's an opening to a conversation but it's not like I want to know how it went <laughs> like I'm not I'm your boss give me a report It's like hey I'm your teammate I'm here for you I know that this this call would have been tough or this call would have been fun or this call would have had some technical stuff that maybe I could help with. It's showing that you're connected and it's showing that you care about somebody else's work, which is the essence of a team, right? And if you do this a few times, people will get used to it and it will just be something you do. It's like, oh, it's Wendy's thing. She always calls me after a big call, uh, a big sales call. You know, I don't think she's checking up on me. I think she just wants to know how it went, you know? Uh, It's just her thing. And if nothing ever happens, right, if they think that you're checking up on them and then they hear from their boss something they've said to you and they hear it from their boss before they've told their boss, then they will think that you're checking up on them because you're checking up and reporting to the boss, right? If you just have that call and you have a quick conversation and they never hear anything about that conversation from anyone else, they'll trust you, that you're not checking up, you're just trying to be friends or trying to be a good teammate. And you know, other people will start doing it too. It's amazing how if you find something that's effective, other people start copying it. And your relationships will be way better than anybody else's, and people notice that.
1: Exactly, just think of it this way, everyone that's in the office with that individual is at an advantage. Because when they come out of a frustrating meeting and they look at everybody and they like, oh, you had that meeting with this client. Are you all right? Everyone yeah, right? else is in an advantage because they're there and they have eyes. You don't. Your only eyes are on the calendar. So you have to leverage what little aspects of a common relationship you can find with another person.
0: Right. And it's amazing. Like if, as you described that, I imagine someone coming out of a meeting or coming back into the office, you know, having had a tough call. And like if you went, oh, oh, was bad, huh? Right. Nobody thinks that that's checking up, right? It's just reacting to what you're seeing. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to make sure that everyone thinks, uh, everyone understands that we don't think this is checking up. And I think if you do it properly, or if you do it well,
1: they won't think you're checking up so exactly and if there's trust they won't think you're checking up that's
0: right okay next up don't miss meetings mm-hmm. so as the
1: remote person you really need to be more accommodating around meetings than you would be uh had you been in the office getting people together for meetings is just hard if you've ever done it you know it's hard There's a coordination of schedules, but there's also coordination of space, like meeting rooms. And how often do we have arguments in offices about lack of meeting space? (laughs) Um, Perhaps equipment for those that are in the office. Do you need AV? Do you not need AV? So if at home you decline meetings, it will be assumed that you're doing something personal. Even if there's something work-related on your calendar, people cannot imagine What would trump their meeting? There's a lot of obstacles I had to get through to organize this meeting. And since the only thing which would trump it for them would be something personal, it must be the same for you, or that will be the assumption, right? So it's not, again, it's not necessarily truth. People are making up stories based on lack of data. And in the same vein, you don't want to be late to meetings if you work at a distance. Don't be doing something else that's distracting. And I know I am the worst for this. <laughs> I've got to call Wendy in two minutes. I'll write this really quick email, start typing, and then, oh my goodness, two minutes after it started, like, oh, Wendy, I'm so sorry, I'm leaving you hanging. I was thinking about something. The thing is, when you are at home and you get distracted, you just have to be that much more professional because people are gonna assume it's doing personal things rather than giving you the benefit of the doubt that they may do if you were in the office.
0: Right, if you rush in late to a meeting and you've got like coffee in one hand and your notebook in the other and you're just like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late, everybody just assumes you've just come from another meeting. They don't think, "Oh, you've got a fresh coffee, you must have spent the last 3 minutes in the coffee room," right? Whereas if you're late for a meeting at work uh, and you're remote, they think, "Oh, you just you were in the kitchen making coffee." Exactly. It's really unfair. But again, it's one it's one of the downsides of working at home and there are lots of or working remotely. There are lots of benefits and these are the downsides, I guess. Okay. Uh
1: next up, over-communicate. Now, communication isn't easy for anybody, <laughs> for clarity, but it's even harder for you being a remote employee because you don't have the opportunity to chat with people as you pass them by as you're in the coffee room together grabbing a coffee in the morning. And you want people to believe that you're really on their team in a way that we felt on, for example, a great sports team. They have to believe that you care about them. And communication about things that matter to people is the way you prove to them that you care about them, something that you're interested in.
0: So you want to communicate with each person on your team at least once a week outside of meetings or anything you have going on together. So a call after they have a big presentation, a call when you see them send in a great report or just a, hey, I haven't spoken to you all week call. And why calls? Because calls are much more meaningful and much more of a richer transaction than emails. And hey, these don't have to be long. Like you know, if I call Maggie and I and I say, "Hey, mate, I haven't talked to you all week. How's things?" and she says, "You know what? I've had my head down. I've been doing this, been doing that, been doing the other." You know, and I say, "How are the boys?" and she says, "They're good." And we go, "Okay, good. Well, I'm glad everything's going well for you. Talk to you next week." And it doesn't need to be long. It's just a kind of connection. It's just renewing the connection. It makes me think of, um, if you think of a snow-filled village, so the snow's fallen, it's all pristine and white between the houses. And then, you know, one person walks from house A to house B, and there's a path created in the snow, right? That's the connection that you have with your coworker. But what happens is more snow falls And the path starts to disappear unless you keep making that connection between you. And that's what happens. You know, all the different things that happen in a week are all the things that kind of dull that connection, that, you know, all of those are the snowflakes that make the path disappear. You have to be cognizant of where's my path and is it still showing and do I need to go make that connection again or before this disappears? And, you know, that connection that team membership feel that communication it's not for nothing it's because it makes both of you work more effectively it makes work easier it makes work more fun so you're not doing it just because when you and Sarah say you should have a pass you're doing <laughs> you're doing it because it makes everything work better at work
1: mm-hmm. so how often do you get on the phone with somebody that you work with and you're like I haven't talked to you in forever what's it And then you look at the calendar and you're like, three days ago, you talked to that person. So imagine what it's like if you're at a distance and only talk once a week. It feels like forever since you talked to that person. So just being purposeful about making those connections is really helpful. Time flies when you're having fun.
0: And there's something else about not connecting uh, frequently. If you think about uh, an acquaintance that you don't talk to that often – If you meet up for coffee and you're like, oh, so what's happened over the last three months? You pick out like two or three big things, or maybe there's no big things that come to mind. Whereas if you talk to someone every day, you always have something to talk about. And it's all the tiny little details. The longer we go, the more inconsequential everything seems, and therefore the less that we have to communicate about. So that's another good reason for doing it frequently. So we talked about rich transactions being calls and not emails. I want to give you an example. So I get an email once a week from Paul on our team and he says, have you uploaded the sound for our podcast? And I suspect because Paul is on the tech side and because the emails always have the same words, I suspect those are automated. And so he doesn't make a decision to send them. He just knows I need to remind Wendy or I need to make sure that Wendy's done her job. And so I'll just send her this email. Now, if he called me, I would know he actually did want to help me make sure my sound was up. He he wanted to make sure with me that I had done what I needed to do. But the automatic email just makes me laugh every week. I'm just like, all right, he's just reminding me. It's like it's like he doesn't even put the effort in. He just automated it to make his life easier. Uh, to be fair, I don't need him to call me on that. I just want to give you as an example of, you know. This is how people feel when you don't sit next to them and you start sending them email that always looks the same. Or you send them an email that says, hey, what's up? Like, people don't want to
1: type. <laughs> like, I'm having a really rough day. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah.
0: I just want to illustrate the fact that an email does not have the effect of a, a phone call, especially if you have on your calendar Thursday afternoon at three, connect with the rest of my team and you send them all an email yes, and it exactly. happens at Thursday at three every week, they will soon suspect that, you, that you're not doing that for real. So, you
1: know, don't do email, do calls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. And for those that you're working with peers, consider doing peer one-on-ones. Right. If you put time aside each week, and again, sorry, guys, there is a podcast about peer one-on-ones and the agenda for that. But if you put time aside each week to talk to a colleague that you're working with, the rest of your week will go more smoothly, right? The opportunity to get on the same page is invaluable. And what actually what I find is the more I communicate with my peers, the more I I need to communicate with my peers, which sounds almost counterintuitive, but then I, your brain sees those connections. Oh, you know, when I was having my, my one-on-one with Kate, she mentioned X. You know what? I think that could really help me here. And it increases the communication by increasing the communication, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a really, it is amazing how many more connections you can see when you communicate. It's like more information in makes more communication. More information in makes more connections. Of course, right? And if we're going to be practical, return calls from your teammates within an hour. If you can, if you're you're in a two-hour meeting, you can't. But set that as your standard. Return uh, calls from your teammates in an hour. Text 15 minutes and emails the same day. If you leave somebody's text for like nine hours and you don't reply, they think you weren't at work for nine hours, right? They don't think, oh, they were doing this really hard project and they just couldn't look up from it for nine hours. No, they think you weren't doing it. So these are really practical targets that you can set for yourself
1: that show that you're connected. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And the last piece of our puzzle is going to be share ideas. Now, part of the reason that people end up out of sight, out of mind, is that they stop or they never start contributing. We're not talking about your actual work. Uh, The actual work, how to address that when you're working remotely, was covered in chapter one of this series. What we're talking about here are the odds and ends, right? The the little bits that you're able to contribute that make other people's days, their lives easier. When you're working in an office with a team uh, in person, you just overhear conversations where you may be able to contribute. So, For example, you're sitting in your cubicle space, right? Kind of open environment. You can overhear things. Someone, for example, could say, hey, does anybody have any ideas about how, I can end this license without changing the price for a new one? And whether they're addressing you specifically or not, you can pipe up or peek over the cubicle, oh, hey, I know how it could be done, and you can help them out. However, when you're not co-located in an office, it is impossible (laughs) for you to overhear other people's conversations and therefore extremely difficult to have those informal, off-the-cuff opportunities for communication.
0: So to compensate, you need to be looking for opportunities to contribute ideas. So look at the text messages you're being sent, the emails. Think about the calls you're on. Is there an opportunity to contribute an idea? And it doesn't matter whether the idea is big or small, and it doesn't matter particularly if it's a good idea or not. because. Bad ideas sometimes spawn good ideas for other people, right? You say something that's not a great idea, but someone else says, oh, wait a minute, that won't work, but this will, which I was prompted to think of because of your bad idea. The aim is to be part of the mix. And there doesn't even need to be a prompt. You might just send a text to your team that says, hey, I was thinking about X, what about doing Y? Being known as the ideas guy means that people will reach out to you more often. And you want this, you want the communication between your team and you to be two way. A lot of what we talked about today is about you reaching out to people. But if you start to show a skill that is really useful to other people, they will contact you.
1: Mm, They will, they'll reach out to you.
0: Yeah, try and make sure, or try and help them if you can, right? I mean, one of the things that I often get asked is, hey, I've put a bunch of text on our website And it doesn't look right. And I am not a great HTML editor, but I know (laughs) how it works. And I can usually work out what somebody needs to do. And that's not part of my job. If I was talking to Mark and I said, no, I didn't write a podcast because I was helping Maggie with HTML, I'd hear about it. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, I don't work on my priorities 100% of the time because I'm normal and nor does anybody else. And if I take 15 minutes to help Maggie, then, you know, I've done something for our relationship. I've I've deposited in the emotional bank account if you do a seven habits language. And when the communication is two-way, when they're reaching out to you as much as you're reaching out to them, it really makes them feel like you are part of the team. You're not that outsider. You're not that guy who lives in Ohio. You're part of our team. Exactly.
1: And when people look back over the year, for example, when they're writing your review, they remember those ideas, right? Those times that you volunteered, that you helped, especially when you're not an expert in that field. And they asked you for a favor. And we have done podcasts on the favor economy. Doing people favor or volunteering to help. Even if you shared an idea that wasn't useful in the end, just don't be afraid to make suggestions and volunteer when you can. So in summary, the activities that we discussed today might seem a bit disparate, but they all help you contribute and integrate with your team. Even if you're not co-located, if you don't want people to forget you, making a positive contribution to their work life is how to do it. Well
0: said. (laughs) Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Wendy. Bye, everyone. That's all for this week. We hope you'll come back next week for more guidance. Thank you.